here. Last time we discussed verses one through five of the gospel of John chapter one. We saw in the last time that we were together that Jesus is the the pre-existent word that was with God in the beginning. We learned that all things exist because of Jesus, for Jesus, and are sustained by Jesus. And we also learned that Jesus is the self-existent one, and with him is life and light, and that light was the light of men. So, as we move forward this morning into verses 6 through 13, let's stand and read the word of God together. We'll read verses 6 through 13, which is what we will be covering this morning. Amen. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And God had a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. As we read these verses, we see that John is presenting Jesus in a series of metaphors. The metaphors that John uses are, I'm presenting or he's presenting Jesus as the word, as the the metaphor of life and the metaphor of light. Each of those metaphors were used by John to present Jesus as deity or to present Jesus as God. He is the word because Jesus is the word because he is the communication of God. He is the life because he is the eternal life who gives life to everything that has life. And he is the light because he is the one true illuminator. The last time that we were together, we considered the biblical truth that Jesus is light and life. This morning, I want to dig a little bit deeper and to focus on that phrase, the light. Verse four says in him was life and the life was the light of men. There are are five times that John refers to Jesus within these few verses as light. Why would John go to to such a great extent to present or repeatedly describe Jesus Christ as light? Think about this. We usually experience light in one way or another. For us, light is simple. It's either on or it's off. For us, light is simple. It's either dark or it's light, right? And sometimes there's that in between. But it's simple for us. It's either on or it's off. It's either present or it's not present. But think about this. Science describes light in an even deeper way than what we just basically say on or off. Science describes or defines light as energy. Now, we're not going to get our theology or our understanding from the from theology, from science. But I believe a good definition from the scientific point of view will really drive home this understanding of light. Think about this. The definition of light in science is this. It is moving at the speed of check this out. 
186,000 miles per second. We can't even fathom 186,000 miles per second. We can fathom 70 miles an hour. And for some of us, when we hit 70, we're scared, right? As a matter of fact, if you go 85 or over, you're seen by the law as driving reckless. You're out of control if you almost hit 100. Imagine 186,000 miles a second. Light is moving. It's a wave. It is. uh, We are not able to comprehend light. And also we're not able to comprehend. Think about the source of its energy. Where does light get its light from? You ever think about that? Ever just lay back? This is a philosophical question. But you ever think back and just sit back on where that? How did light get light? I know my wife, um, she must be interested in burning down the house, but she gets into the blankets, our blankets, and she starts to rub her hand on the blankets. And there's electricity that popping through the, the, in the darkness. Isn't that cool? And it's, you're going to start a fire. Stop. Where does that come from? It's energy. It's, it can't even be explained. And this wave, this energy, it hits the retina of your eye. And when it does, it illuminates things. You're allowed to see details because of light. You know this. You know that you would not be able to color coordinate the clothes that you're wearing in the dark. Try that the next time that you get up. And some of you guys do, I can tell. But anyways, (laughs) what you're wearing, it gives light to what makes sense. I think colors, they depend on light. You would not be able to see the depths or the intricacies or even the beauty of color if there was no light. Where there is no light, we cannot see. And when you think about light in that way, then now you and I are starting to get a clearer picture. One that is applicable to the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the divine power who in the spiritual realm, he makes things visible. When the light The Zoe of Christ, when it shines upon a soul that is in darkness, life comes to that person who was once walking in darkness. John said that Jesus is life. He is the eternal life. He's the eternal word. Through him, God speaks. He is the life because through Jesus, God gives life. And he is the light because Christ, through Christ, everything in the spiritual realm becomes illuminated so that the blind, you and I, could see. Apart from Christ, there is no word of God. Apart from Christ, there is no life from God. And apart from Christ, there is no light. Therefore, we would all still be in darkness. John is capturing some very basic and yet profound things about this light. It's a wave. He is the wave. He's the power that is traveling at a speed that none of us could even comprehend. And in doing so, he brings illumination. Verse five says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness not only did not overcome, but also cannot comprehend it. You can see that this is true because without light, nothing is visible. And without light, we are all still in darkness. Every religion is walking in darkness apart from Christ. Every person is walking in darkness apart from Christ. He's the light. 
He's the light of the world. He's the source of all light. As we look at verses 6 through 13, we notice that John is identifying Christ as the light. But he is using that light to point to foundational spiritual truths, meaning this. He's like a person who is in charge of the spotlight in a play. You ever seen that? And he shines the spotlight person, shines the spotlight on things that are of importance in that drama. That's exactly what John is doing in these first few verses. He's pointing the light of Christ to shine on the nature of true ministry. The light will shine and it reveals the very nature of Christ himself. The light shines and it reveals the nature of sinners, you and I. The light shines and it reveals the true nature of believers, now you and I. The light shines and even illuminates the true nature of God. And we'll talk about these five things this morning. But don't forget this. John is writing all of these things for one specific reason, so that you will hear, believe, and be saved. John wants us to be saved, and he wants us to know, and he wants you to know that the only way you can be saved is by knowing and hearing the gospel, hearing and knowing the gospel. So, number one, he shines the light on the true nature of gospel ministry. Verse number six through eight. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Now, this is very interesting. Something happens in verse six. The apostle John goes from talking about the eternal world creating self-existent God incarnate Jesus Christ. To then going and discussing and talking about a mere man. He goes from the Bible says verse six, there came a man. He goes from the eternal to the temporal. He goes from the infinite to the finite. He goes from the heavenly to the earthly. He goes from the holy to the unholy to a mere man. And this shift is important because John is going to give us a lot of things that are testimony to the truth that we find in verse 14, which we'll talk about. There are many testimonies, many testimonies concerning Christ becoming God, which are testimony of the father the testimony of christ his word and his works there's the testimony of the holy spirit the testimony of the eyewitnesses of the miracles of christ the testimony of his disciples that all point to verse 14 being true verse 14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory the glory of the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth and john the apostle begins by presenting his first evidence john the baptist John the Baptist got his name from baptizing people all around that region as he presented a message of repentance. The Apostle John states that John the Baptist was sent from God. Now, I don't think any of you can make or any of us can make the claim that we were sent by God before time. Meaning this, there are many things that point to the life of John the Baptist that show God had intentionally put this man in this specific time for a specific reason that was prophesied long ago. None of your births have been prophesied. None of your births have been prophesied, maybe by God, but not by any man. He fulfilled prophecies concerning being the Messiah's forerunner. He was his conception and his birth were miraculous. His parents were old in age and they had never had kids and were unable to have kids. And all of a sudden, here comes John the Baptist. His birth was announced to his parents by the angel of the Lord. No angels came to your parents and said, 
Teresa will be born. No. As much as we might think. Anyways, the Holy Spirit filled his father to prophesy concerning John the Baptist. His father's name was Zacharias. The Lord had anointed a time to which John would begin his ministry. All of these things were evidence that he was sent by God. He was the last Old Testament prophet. For 400 years, there was no word of prophecy. And then all of a sudden, John the Baptist comes screaming his head off in the wilderness. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I love John the Baptist. He was bold and he was the bold front runner or forerunner who spoke in such a fearless manner that even the rulers of that day wanted nothing more than this man's head to be chopped off. Mark describes how all the country of Judea was coming out to John the Baptist, repenting of sin and being baptized in the Jordan River. God was using this man to prepare the hearts of the people for the coming of the Messiah. Now, because he had such a God given mandate to preach the gospel and to preach repentance, he had no fear. He fearlessly spoke that he even rebuked Herod Antipas, who Herod married his brother's sister. And John called him out on it and says, you're nothing but a sinner and you need to repent. And because of his boldness, because he was fearlessly speaking what needed to be spoke, he eventually did have his head cut off. And what I just gave you was a short bio of John the Baptist. All the other Gospels give you what I just gave you. But John does not. Why? Because John wants to give you this. This is the reason why John the Baptist came. Why? Verse 7. I don't need to tell you all the bio that that I just told you. Here's the reason why John was here. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. In that one verse, we have the model for gospel ministry. His purpose in writing was that you would believe the purpose of John the Baptist coming was so that you can believe the purpose of any minister who preaches the word. The purpose of any person who believes in Christ is to tell people so that they would believe in Christ. There is no other purpose or reason for you to be a believer than for you to be a witness for Christ. No other reason. Our lives are to be used as instruments so that the gospel message can be delivered through them. That's it. The Lord Jesus Christ was from all eternity. Let's just get the, the, the mere man part. John came into being. The Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal creator. John was his creation. The Lord Jesus Christ is God. And John is sent by God. The Lord Jesus Christ was the light. John came to testify about the light. What am I saying? He's a man. He's just a man. And his purpose was not to point to himself. Look at me. But to point to God, that's all he was here for, to be a witness for God. The witness comes when the witness comes and testifies. The witness is not the star of the show. What he testifies is about about is the star of the show. No one says, look at this witness. It's about what they're testifying about. That's the star of the show. The testifier is not the star. What he testifies about is the star. It's the message. John came with a message concerning Christ, not himself, about Christ. He came to give evidence to Christ who, who was and is the son of God. That's why we're here. He came to give testimony about the light. Gospel ministry is about the light. It is about Christ. This is what ministry of the gospel is all about. 
all Christian, true Christian ministry must be focused on Christ. It must be Christ centered. If it's not Christ centered, then it's not Christian. No matter how many Bibles they have, no matter how many so-called Christian songs they sing, if they're not Christ-centered, they are not Christian. John 1.27, John the Baptist says, he, it is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I'm pointing to Christ. Verse 29, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's not pointing to himself, pointing to Christ. Verse 30, the one on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. He's pointing to Christ. Verse 34, this is the son of God. Verse 36, behold, the lamb of God. Every time he speaks, he speaks Christ. That is the subject of his preaching. He wanted no glory. He wanted no praise. He knew he wasn't the light. People were even coming to him and saying, hey, everyone's following Jesus. And he tells them, I'm not the Messiah. Go follow him. He's the Christ. He said in, in, in John three thirty, this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase. I must decrease. My mission is full. I'm here for him. He must become greater. I must become less. Let him be seen. Let him be heard. Let him receive all of the glory. He's my introduction. He's my three points. He's my conclusion. He's my song. John the Baptist knows it's, it's all about Christ. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Paul continued this thought in 1 Corinthians 2, 2. For I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. I don't know anything. That's all I know is Christ. That's all I preach is take your eyes off of me. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to give you. There is no life in me. There's no Zoe in me to give to you. It's Christ. The Bible says in Acts 1, 8. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be witnesses. Whose witnesses? His witnesses on his behalf. Christ is our subject. Christ is our theme. The apostle points out concerning John the Baptist, he was not the light. Important point. He's talking about the light and then he goes back to John the Baptist and says, John the Baptist is not the light. But he came to bear witness about the light. John is reflecting the light, but he's not the source of light. You and I are reflecting light, but we are not the source of light. When Jesus, I know you may say, well, Jesus says we're the light of the world. When Jesus speaks of being the light, he's using it in the terms or in the sense of reflection, not in the sense of source. We are bouncing light off of the illuminating source. We are like the moon. Who has no source of light, but merely reflects the light of the sun. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 8, at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. John Calvin in his in his commentary says the apostles are called light because they were special gospel torchbearers. Scattering world, the world's darkness. They were holding up a torch and they were bearing the torch of the gospel, but they themselves were not the torch. They were merely holding up the torch so that darkness would flee. Christ is the torch. Christ is the fire. Christ is the flame. You and I are not the flame. We have a flame, but we're not the source of the flame. It would be like going to a wildfire, sticking in something that is flammable and then taking fire out. But you're not the source of that fire. Amen. Amen. Ministers are not priests. We are not mediators. 
We don't bring grace. I can't give you grace. We're not spiritual advisors. We are not coaches. We are not psychologists. I'm not your helper. I'm not a spiritual miracle working healer with some anointing power that makes me more anointed than some other preacher. That's all false. I don't have a greater anointing than you do. I don't have a greater uh, special power than you do. None of us do. There is nothing in me that is greater than anything or anyone. All true ministers are sent from God to declare the witness concerning the true light. We are torchbearers. We hold up the light, but we are not the light. And when we do that, we are faithful to the truth. And we are being loyal to holding up Christ. And we're faithful to Christ and to his word. And listen, it's easy to follow. Think about this. It's easy to fall into following a man, especially when they have the type of boldness and charisma that I'm sure John the Baptist had. There there was actually even a cult following, following John the Baptist when they knew he's saying that's the Messiah. But I like you better. I can remember growing up in church and there seemed to be many people that loved the under shepherd more than the great shepherd. They could quote the preacher more than they could quote Christ. They wanted to dress like that preacher, have their hair like that preacher and even try to preach like that preacher. But they knew nothing of Christ. There were many here who, when my dad passed away, loved my dad more than they loved the word of God. Why do I say that? Because when he left, they left. And you can't tell me the word was not still here. But I was here. And they were more faithful to a man, that man, than any man who brings the true word of God. They didn't want the gospel. They wanted a man. And I didn't fit the part. And I'm going to tell you what, I never will. And I never intend to. And I never want to. I don't want you looking at me. I don't want if I die, you leave because someone else who is still preaching the word is not like me. I'm not likable. I'm not charismatic. I'm not handsome. I'm not tall. I'm not buff. I'm none of those things. And I thank God for that because I would be afraid if I had anything comely about me that would make you say, but he's nice to look at. I'm not. And I don't want to be. Look at Christ. He's the author and the finisher of keep your eyes on Christ. There is not one person in all of Scripture that the Bible says to look to, to follow. There's not one person in all of Scripture that every knee will bow and demons run from other than Christ. So follow him. I remember even being in the church that I was before. We were faithful to a man and not faithful to the gospel. And we suffered foolishly through bad teaching for years because we were more loyal to a man than we were to the word of God. And we endured bad teaching when we knew it was bad. We knew we should have left. But because we don't want to hurt anybody, because we're loyal to you, man, we'll stick around. If there is ever a time I get off my rocker or I am saying things that are just absolutely unbiblical, tell me first, please, and then leave. Don't stick around for that. Your life is at stake. Your spiritual walk with Christ is at stake. As I'm feeding you, you wouldn't stick around if I'm feeding you dung, would you? I encourage you not to. 
And even now, with my great love for ministers that we mention all the time, the Sproles and the MacArthur's and the Calvin's and the Luther's and so forth. I love these men. These men didn't die for me. I'll quote them, but ultimately they're quoting Christ, who I will quote. I will never exalt any man over Christ or his word. If they don't line up with his word, then fully with them and their theologies, I go with Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews again that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. It is that that name that demons run, demons flee. Is that that name that we will all bow our knees? John's mission was not to exalt himself, but his mission was to be a witness of the Messiah. He was sent to testify about the light. That is the essence of gospel ministry. We testify about Christ. And I pray that as you've been in this church, that that's what you've seen. That we're about Christ. That we're about God. I heard Sister Nadine text me the other day and said, you've evolved. Well, praise God. I hope that we're, we're evolving more into a gospel-centered church. Number two, the true light, it, eliminate, it, it illuminates the true nature of the Son of God. We were walking in darkness until the light came. And the light came to reveal, listen, the light came to reveal light. I just, I, I was stuck on that phrase as I was studying for like an hour. The light came to reveal light. He didn't come to reveal something or someone else. He came to reveal himself. Light came to reveal light. The essence of Christ is light. When Christ arrives, he reveals himself. Light came to reveal light. Think about this. We know, we know that he was at work in the Old Testament. He was a spiritual rock that brought water to the children of Israel in the desert. He was actually the one that Isaiah saw sitting on the throne in Isaiah chapter six, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. The angels were singing over him. Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He was the savior and substitute in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. But there was still a shadow around those things and much more until we get to the to the New Testament. And when Christ arrives, the light of the glory of God, like never before, is shining now in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says the fullness of the Father's glory was in Christ. He is the one in whom the Godhead dwells in bodily form. He is the one whom the glory of God is revealed full of grace and full of truth. He's the true light. He's the genuine light. Listen, he's not reflected light. He's not borrowed light. He's not derived light or secondary light. He is light. He's the source of all light. He's not a shadow or a symbol. He's preeminent. He's all glorious. He's the light that shines more brilliant than a thousand suns. And it's found in the face of Christ Jesus. He is the only light that gives light. Think about that. If you wanted light, you would have to go to the only source in which light is found, Christ. Anyone who has light gets light from him. (laughs) He's the source. Everyone who sees the supernatural truth of Christ sees it because Christ has given them light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8, 12. He is the light, the only sufficient light that has power to give life. 
John three nineteen through 21 says this. This is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil for everyone who does evil hates the light. I will say that again. Everyone who does evil hates the light. Hence why some people hate you. And does not come to the light. Hence why people don't want to hang out with you no more. For fear that their deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that the deeds may the deeds may be manifest as wrought in God. The light of salvation shines only in Christ. I love this quote by J.C. Ryle. Listen closely. Christ to the souls of men is what the sun is to the world. He's the center and source of all spiritual life. Like the sun, he shines for the common benefit of all men. For high and low, for rich or poor, for Jew or Greek, like the sun, he's free to all. All may look at him and drink health out of his life. If millions of mankind were mad enough to dwell in caves underground or to bandage their eyes, their darkness would be their own fault. And not the fault of the sun. So likewise, if millions of mankind love spiritual darkness rather than the light. The blame must be laid on their blind hearts. But whether men will see or not, Christ is the true sun and light of the world. There is no other light except the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. As the light shines throughout the world, so Christ's light causes those who are in darkness to see. But what happened when he appeared with that light? Number three. The reaction to the light, verse nine through 11, says this in John chapter one. There was the true light coming into the world that enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. Now, I need you to think real deeply about this. Jesus created the very world that Jesus came to the very world that he created. Think about that. He came among his very own creation. Think about that. And if that those two statements don't throw you for a loop, then I don't know what will. But he came to the very world that he created. He came among the people that were his very own creation. He lived in Bethlehem, Egypt, Judea, Nazareth, 33 years, all of his life. He lived among his own creation. He went back to his hometown at one point. And they despised him and his message so deeply that they wanted him to get out. While he was here, though, he banished illness. He banished demons. He gave limbs, eyes, ears and life where there was none. He walked on water. He controlled storms. He showed creative power by making food and wine where there was none. He was the very mystery of godliness in human flesh. He was God invisible, made visible. He put himself on display. I just can't imagine that. It would be like your favorite artist or musician or football player or whatever, just showing up at the local Burger King. Yeah, whatever, whatever your place is. He put himself, here I am. The frenzy that might take place 
because of whoever you are thinking in your mind. If someone showed up at whatever place you're thinking of. Christ, the creator, comes and puts himself on display. I mean, if you can imagine, he takes away illness, tells demons to flee, gives limbs, eyes, ears, lives, walk on water, control storms, makes food and wine, and people still look at him. And the world did not know him. Verse 10. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. Now, now listen, we know that men are sinners. We know that Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitfully wicked among all things. We know about the fall and the curse that came along with that fall. We know that man is depraved in nature, in his mind and his will. We know that because of man's depravity, his desire to be evil. God destroyed the human race. We know all about that. We know the history of the Old Testament and the New Testament and even up to times that are marked today that are beyond our imagination of evil. Humanity is wretched. But there has never been a time in human history in which the wretched human or the wretched depravity of man has been on display than the time in which God in the flesh appears, reveals himself, manifests himself in all the ways that I just displayed. And man looks at him in the face and says, no. There is. It's crazy. There's not been another time in all of human history. You can think about the worst times. I don't care what you say. There has not been a more wretched time in all of humanity in which man has displayed his depravity. Then the time that God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, came, put himself on display and man said, crucify him. Wow. It's one thing to reject the light of creation that declares that God is. It's one thing to reject the light of the law. It's one thing to reject the prophets of the Old Testament. It's one thing to reject the revelation written in that Old Testament law. But it is far more a, an indicative thing to reject Christ in his face. The very source of your and my life looking at him and saying, kill him. I believe there is no other moment that is more tragic than that. It's one thing to reject a mere man, but to reject the living God in human flesh. Never has human depravity been on display. How wretched can we be? And that depravity continues today. In which we hear the word and we know it's true. And after hearing the word, we walk away and say, no. We choose earthly pleasures over Christ. We cling to our football games and our baseball games and our basketball games more than we cling to Christ. We cling to our so-called free time to indulge upon things that cause us to be comfortable and relaxed, indulging in substances and entertainment that add to our comfort with belief that because we're chosen, because we're loved, because God may even be pleased by me hanging out today and not going to church. We have no sense of urgency. Because we are still in our depravity. You choose the Dodgers. Overcoming and sharing and, and worshiping God. They're not going to win the World Series. You're out of your mind. 
And let's do this. Neither will the angels or the Yankees. Let's do this. And even if they do, why don't you go call them when you need something? You go call one of those Dodgers. I bet you anything they are going to duck and dodge your call. You think you're going to be able to call the Raiders? You think that you're going to be able to call the, the, the Lakers or whoever it may be? You think that your favorite show or that substance is going to be there for you when it's time for you to stand before God? No. Every elect person in heaven will dodge you when you stand before God and say, this is the man who thought it more important to go and, and indulge in their so-called free time. I'm going to tell you what, your free time now will be paid time when you stand before God. It will be time to pay. I heard John Piper say one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove on the last day that prayerlessness was not because of a lack of time. I'm sure many of you have heard that quote before. More time on, on Facebook and Twitter than, than standing before God. And you could never stand before God and say, well, they didn't have enough time. You will bring up your Facebook record and say, yes, you did. <laughs> One of my favorite things right now is playing that, that eight ball pool. He will look at me and say, you had 162 games already? 60% winning percentage. That, that was more important to you than as a pastor getting on your knees before me and crying out to me before the people. For the people. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The Bible says that they didn't know God in Romans 1, and in John chapter 1, they didn't know the Son of God. While Christ was on the earth, he gave all the evidences necessary for one to believe he was who he said he was. And ultimately, there are only two responses to Christ. You either love Christ wholeheartedly and you are devoted to him or you hate Christ and you despise his teachings. There's only two responses. There is no in between. I kind of like him. I kind of you are either in love and devoted or you are in hate and despise. And for many of you, many people who come to church. I've been preaching for 17 years and I know I can look at someone's face and know when they are putting on a mask and playing the game. I've grown up in this thing. And there are many people that I could call out and say, you're a fake. But I thank God that he has given me grace in my times of putting on a mask. And I pray that he gives you that same grace. Although he is the light and the light of the world, you would think that everyone therefore has the ability to see the truthfulness of who he was. And that would be true except for one thing. Regardless of how bright or how light it is, it does not matter if you're blind. You could shine the brightest of lights on an individual who was blind and they would not even squint their eyes. Because they're blind. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The Bible says he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. Out of all the world, God chose the Jewish nation. And the greatest expression of human depravity was when that Jewish nation saw him and rejected him. Number four, 
The light illuminates the true nature of believers. Verse 12 says, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. Even those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, not of the will of man or flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. What does it mean to receive Christ? It means that you believe in him. To believe in him is to receive him. To receive him is to believe in him. And when you do, you have life. What are we? Are we mere church attenders? Are we mere church hoppers? Are we church shoppers? Are we critics of ministers who sit back and listen, not with the intention of learning, but the intention of critiquing a style? There have been many, especially since since now I am reformed. I've heard a many who think they know everything. It blows my mind, Philip, that some of the reformed people are so they are, they are so prideful. I, I'm reformed. I, I, I love that. But man, some of the people that I've come across think they know everything. And I just want to say, shut up. Shut up. There's one person who said, because I don't drink alcohol, and I'll talk about this in a while, because I don't drink alcohol, I'm not reformed. Because that is a tradition of the old reformers. I'll talk about that later. Some of you guys are like, what? Let me just stop here. Because many of them were European, because many of them, that was the, the nature of what they did. It was, it was natural for them. So they take that into this day and say, if you don't do that, then you're not saved. I looked at that person and said, do you know? That if I were to teach that that is a Christian liberty and you can do it as much as you want in my church. Do you know how many lives that would wreck? Do you know how many people who have struggled with that in our church alone and, and, and maybe throughout the body of Christ, but our church especially. If I started teaching, that's okay as much as you want. Do you know how many families would be wrecked by that? Do you know how, how, how I, I, the word I used was, do, do you know how. It's a word that 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 when someone does something that is it's not right, but but it, it would it would be uh, oh, forget it. It's not right. <laughs> you know how wrong that would be. How many families would be destroyed? I said, and then on top of that, it's bad for you. Destroys your liver. You get fat. You smell like alcohol. You can't do it and drive. There's so many things that go against it. And you want to tell me it's okay? Why don't you tell the law that then? Why can't you do it till you're 18? Why don't you just start feeding your babies beer? If it's not a big deal, if it's a liberty, then where do we draw the line? And hey, I said to them, hey, and why stop there? I know a lot of other ways that we can get higher than beer or indulge in other things that are from the ground. Hmm? You want to be like Colorado? Well, what do you want to do? You want to be like Amsterdam? Well, we, can, we can go as far as you want to go. What do you think? Got nothing to say because they know I'm right. And that's not me saying, look how right I am. But man, when we come to here, what are we? What are, what are we? Are we people that truly love God? Are we people that just profess creeds? Are we merely people that are watching the parade go by as the so-called followers of Christ are on the battlefield? Are we people who talk it out but don't walk it out? Are we people who hide our faith in the shadows lest we offend the so-called non-believers with our faith? No, John says that when you believe, you're a child of God. 
We are his offspring. Born from not this earth, but born from above. And we have the blessing of speaking to God in a way that is personal because he has chosen us from the beginning of time to belong to him. We know the truth. We ascend to the truth. We trust the truth. We declare the truth. I was asked on Wednesday, how do I know that I'm elect? And I started by saying this, not because I know I'm elect, first, not because I'm a Calvinist. Don't ever let someone say, because you're not, then you're not saved. No, I've been saved for 17 years and I've only been a Calvinist for for one year. That doesn't make me saved. It makes me have a better understanding of how God saves, but it does not make me saved. Does that make sense? Good. I said, I know I'm saved because God has worked in me that by his grace, he's helped me to turn and to continue to turn from sin. To repent. I said, I, I know that I'm elect. I know I'm saved because by his grace, he's given me a desire to glorify him in all that I do and all that I pursue. I said, I know that I'm elect. I know that I'm saved because by his grace, he's given me a passion for his word and to continue to learn more and more truth about who he is. I, said, I believe I know that I'm saved because by his grace, he's given me a desire to share this truth, to evangelize, to, to not just keep it to myself, but I got to tell somebody. And I believe that I'm saved because by his grace, he's producing fruit in me that I can never produce out of myself. I said, those are just the tip of the iceberg. But it's because of those things that I believe God is working in my life. You notice I didn't say anything about that ah, because, you know, I, 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 it's all he, 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 by his grace. His name. When you belong to his name, it refers to the to the totality of his being, all that he is and all that he's done. We're devoted to that. And Christ has given this gift of regeneration to those who believe. If all the things that I just said are kind of happening in your life. Then praise God, maybe he's called you as his own as well. And last but not least. The true light has illuminated the true nature of God. How can a depraved person be born again? How can a person who is dead be born again? Verse 13, who were born? We are born. But when we are born, it's not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Not because of whose family you're born into, not because of your own effort, or not because of man-made systems that say, walk down an aisle, sign this card, pray this prayer after me. No, those are none of the ways in which you are born a child of God. You are born a child of God by God. John chapter 3, we'll talk more about this. The wind blows where it may. No one knows where it's going, but when it does, it has an effect of regenerating someone and making them come to life. God, by his nature, is a savior. Believe that. I know that we've been going through some hard stuff with um, reprobation and election, and you're sitting there thinking, gosh, does he even care? God is a savior. It is at the very heart of God to save and to raise people from the dead. He is a savior. God, our savior, over and over again in the scriptures, we see God, who is our savior, gives life to dead sinners. This is the theme throughout the whole book. Light has come to give life. The great truth of election and sovereign grace is introduced here. And it is the very foundation of John's mentioning of salvation or soteriology. And we'll see much more about this subject as we go throughout the gospel. Let's stand.